1: From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show live, they can go and watch it live on the internet by going to www.bornagainmormon.com, click on the TV shows, and it will give you instructions on how to do that from anywhere in the world. Last night... At Pastor Kevin's house, we had an open water baptism, and we have a short video clip to show you of that. So let's go to that right now.
2: I um, I realized something was totally missing and um, I knew that there was a supreme being I wasn't sure who he was and I started praying and they were very basic prayers and um, for about the last year I felt like God has been leading me in little baby steps uh, toward Christianity and was praying and I, I basically said to the Lord you know I I don't know how I can do this, how can I be a Christian, I have a hard time loving people, I don't know if I can love you, and I just felt like he basically told me at that time that um, I would be able to love him, and um, that he would teach me to love other people. And he has just been so faithful, and and the baptism today was... Um, my way of letting the Lord know that, um, that I am committed to Him and I do want to be a servant and I, um, that I am devoted to Him. Uh,
3: my path that I've taken actually has become much easier now. Uh, he's removed the proverbial rocks out of my life. and um, This is um, as much of a, of a public profession. Um, for me, I believe it's a way of keeping myself accountable Uh, to Jesus and to God and to my promises to uh, walk with him and to allow him to be number one in my life.
1: It's an awesome experience to see people who publicly proclaim their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through baptism, and uh, it's just a wonderful experience. I thank God for that, and uh, and also thank Micah, who does all the video, all the tech work for us, and does such a fine job, so thank him for that. I Was a Born Again Mormon, book that started it all. Uh, you can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and get information on that for a listing of where you can get the book in the state of Utah and in California, and of course online, you can buy it from us. If you don't have the money, we have always given the book away free to people who are in financial hardship. And uh, if you're LDS and refuse to buy it but are curious, we send it to you free too. You can get that online. Anyway, go to the website and you can find out information about that. Well, doesn't it just drive you nuts? It drives me absolutely nuts. Here, you can see very clearly, this is from People Magazine. It says, Life in the Cult. And it was a cover article, People Magazine recently, all about what they call the cult that's going on in Texas with the 416 children that were uh, created. We have an insert shot here. You can see there the dorms on this uh, quote unquote cult, the meeting house as they scan over a little bit more, Michael, pick up that temple, keep going over, Michael, move it over a little bit more if you can, the temple, a little bit more, keep going, a little bit over, over a little bit more. That white temple right there, you see that? That's the compound. Now I want you to remember that Joseph Smith introduced every single part of this cult's doctrines. That he introduced plural marriage, he introduced the temple ceremonies, the temple rites, he introduced the whole thing. And all they're doing is following, following what Joseph Smith taught. I would be surprised in this day and age if a major magazine like People Magazine would come out and call the LDS Church Salt Lake City a cult. And yet, they, I, I just would like somebody to call in tonight and tell me what is the difference between the organization there in Texas and when we drive down North Temple and we come to the same type of compound there. I just want to know what the difference is between these two groups. Someone please tell us, call us in, and fill us in. Okay, got an email from um, a Catholic man, and he said that, um, well, let's see, where is it? Here it is. He said, I am a Catholic and very upset with the Mormon Church wanting to baptize my Catholic relatives after death. Please read my email on the air and tell us what uh, to do so that this will not happen. Watch your show. Watch it faithfully. That's from Joe M. And then I happened to go and look on Catholic online, www.catholic.org, and it says, The Vatican warns of the Mormon baptism for the dead. It goes on to say that... um, the uh, congregation, the Vatican's doctrinal congregation issued a ruling that baptism conferred by the Church of Jesus Christ to Latter-day Saints cannot be considered valid Christian baptism, thus requiring convents from that religion, converts from that religion to Catholicism to receive the Catholic baptism. The LDS response to that was, quote, from Mike Otterson, an LDS spokesman for the church here in Salt Lake, said, We don't have an issue with the fact that the Catholic Church doesn't recognize our baptisms because we don't recognize theirs. So, um, uh Everybody who calls, we're always getting the the complaints. You're always picking on us. All we do is love every other religion. We just love them and embrace them and accept them. And if you look through the lines, you can see that. If you really want to read an interesting article, check that out at catholic.org. You can see what that is all about. Talking about um, the Deseret News publishes a thing called Mormon Times, an e-newspaper on the internet. And I would suggest you go check that out if you really want some reading. They have a headline there on their website that says, Ancient writings support LDS doctrine and teachings. I mean, that looks really impressive. And it says that a man named C. Wilford Griggs, who has written extensively on Egypt and the working on excavating Christian burial grounds in Egypt, said that scholars, no scholars are named, it just says scholars are now admitting that, quote, Joseph Smith got into the antiquities before experts in the field had their discoveries. Now, of course, no names are given. Now, uh, where was this news revealed that this headline here on the website comes out? Where Was it on the steps of the Smithsonian that scholars are, are finding that Joseph Smith's revelations were really found in antiquities? No, it was actually found at the Pleasant Grove Manila Steak Center. That's where that's where uh, Mr. Wilford Griggs gave his presentation and he also says, "Quote, many scholars, many scholars are now admitting that the book accepted as scripture by church members is an ancient book." many scholars are revealing that this is this is scholarship at its best I tell you you know and you get on a website that's owned by the church and and when they give you this stuff you can bet it's it's true you know the really funny thing I challenge you to say it is they end it that says that Revelation was alive and well in the early church, and yet centuries later, Revelation and temples were denounced by religious leaders, including Augustine, as unnecessary, therefore supporting their idea that there was in need of a restoration through Joseph Smith. And then there's this little thing at the bottom It says, mormontimes.com is produced by the Deseret News in Salt Lake City, Utah. It is not an official publication of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I wonder who officially owns the Deseret News. Anyway, okay, let's see. Uh, JPM wrote uh, something that's very interesting. He said in an email, uh, you know I don't agree with what you say, but uh, I feel you discount your effectiveness of your convictions by the little cheap shots and commentaries you provide. He goes on to say, I do appreciate your work, though, because if it wasn't for you, many people who don't know about the LDS Church wouldn't get to hear about it, referring to the number of YouTube clips from our show that are shown all over the world. And he says that uh, through showing these videos, he has been able to get seven people to see the missionaries. So he is really telling me that our show is helping the LDS Church grow. In line with that, we have Ariel who wrote, you are doing a great work for the kingdom of God, Sean, by helping the church get rid of all the dead wood. Just think of the home teaching hours saved, all the money the welfare uh, system saves, and all the problems the weak of the church take with them when they go and follow someone like you. And then we have another email that says, how do you justify this ministry as of God? Well, I just want to remind you of something. In Mormon doctrine, you're going to go to the celestial kingdom, the telestial kingdom, or the terrestrial kingdom, which is in the middle. The people who go to the terrestrial kingdom are the people who believe in Jesus Christ but refuse Mormonism. The people who go to the lowest kingdom are the vile sinners who didn't accept Jesus at all and they live in this lower kingdom of glory and the people who go to the top kingdom, the celestial, they're the ones who were the faithful Mormons who went to the temple, did everything right and they're going to become the gods in the future. Well, our ministry in any way you look at it, is a really good ministry. Because if we reach the dead wood of the LDS church and we help them come to know Jesus and we take them from being the sinners that they were, then they're going to move up in a kingdom. They're going to go from the telestial kingdom where the vile sinners who don't know Jesus are, they're going to move up into that middle kingdom. All right? Now, we're not going to reach the celestial people. We never have said we would. And so we're not going to touch them so we're not hurting you. Now, if Mormonism is completely wrong absolutely false. We're, we're saving people from a life of hell, according to the Christian doctrines. So any way you look at it, the ministry is providing fruit. I hope we bring the dead wood out of Mormonism. I hope they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ and they abandon religion and they uh, establish a relationship with him. Uh, finally, we have an email from uh, Kindle. It says... Uh, I've watched your show a few times and I know your intentions are not to teach truth. Uh, And then he goes on and says, here's the solution when presented with a principle such as temple worship, people have two choices. They can trust Sean McCraney or they can trust God. Um, I want you to remind you of a few things. I have never asked anybody to trust me. I want you to listen and I hope you'll take the things I say and go and check your facts we give you numerous sites. We tell you to go to utlm.org, not .com.org, utlm.org to check out the facts that we suggest. We tell you to read the Bible. We tell you to look in your own Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price. We tell you to look at these things. Don't trust me, but don't trust any other man either. Trust God. And what you, what you don't really realize here, Kendall, is the fact that you think because these other men have told you something that it's of God. And don't you realize these are men too? You know, you're saying, don't listen to Sean McCraney, listen to God. But God to you is what these LDS men have said from Joseph Smith and Brigham Young on. So come on, man, open up your eyes and and be on an equal playing field. Okay, Uh, finally, uh, regarding apostles last week, I said, please, Latter-day Saint apostles, you 12, 14 apostles actually, Will you please come forward and tell the public, please, finally, you have seen Jesus Christ with your own eyes. Will you please tell us that? And that way we can know that you are true witnesses as the Bible says you have to be an apostolic witness of Jesus Christ. And then I also said, but if you haven't seen him, will you please tell us that also? Okay. We got an email from Joel and he says, you know, you called the apostles of the LDS church to declare whether they've seen him or not. While it would be interesting to know who has and who hasn't, the request sounds like sign-seeking, would you feel any differently if they all said they have? And I just want you to know, Joel, that I wouldn't feel any differently or believe any differently about Mormonism relative to what I know the Bible says, but I would have more respect for them. At least they're coming out and they're giving people something to stand on instead of this wink-wink game that they do, you know, back-slapping, unspoken, you know, nuance. Yeah, you know, we are apostles. We can't talk about this because it's too sacred for the common folk to understand. Come out like the apostles of Jesus did and tell us you have seen him or you haven't. And I would challenge the LDS to ask uh, their apostles to do the same thing. Okay, Uh, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll go to the message for tonight. Dear God in heaven, we pray your spirit upon us. Uh, Help me to say the things you want me to say. Uh, Let me temper my personality to fit the, the, the subject at hand and the caller's needs. And let the callers receive the truth. Let our audience receive truth. And bless the station that it will function technically uh, with your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. We've discussed in the last several weeks uh, the LDS handout called The 17 Points of the True Church. Last week, I read you point number three, which says, The true church must have a foundation of apostles and prophets. And I personally feel we presented a very strong case as to why the LDS claim of having true and living apostles is contrary to the Bible. Tonight we're going to cover the second part of this claim in that it says it must be built on prophets, all right? We did a show in 2006 entitled Prophets, so I'll try not to be redundant, but I think it's important, however, to understand the LDS position relative to their having a man they call a prophet, Mormons believe that Joseph Smith was the first prophet of this dispensation, that he is the prophet of the restored gospel. It is the only true Christian gospel on the face of the earth. All other gospels that are not LDS, according to the LDS, lead people to the LDS version of hell. You have to understand that. That is absolutely the way it is. Corner a missionary and say, if I reject Mormonism, am I going to the LDS idea of hell? And they would have to say yes, though it is a kingdom. Following in Joseph's footsteps, after much debate and division, Brigham Young became the prophet and then a successor of other singular male prophets up to this day and age. Today, Thomas S. Monson is called the prophet, not a prophet, but the prophet on earth who leads and guides God's church like unto Moses. Again, they believe he fills this office no differently than Moses uh, was a prophet who singularly received directives for the children of Israel. Today, Mormonism believes that Thomas Monson and Thomas Monson alone, no other person, not the Pope, Not Billy Graham, not your pastor, nobody else can speak or act for God here upon the earth. Missionaries will often use this logic with investigators when explaining the need for a living prophet on earth today. They'll say, because God loved the children of Israel, Mr. and Mr. Investigator, he sent them a Moses, a prophet to lead and guide them. Mr. Investigator, does God love you just as much today? The investigator will usually say, yeah, I think so. And then the missionary will say, that's right. He does love you as much today. And they'll turn the picture. And there you have Thomas S. Monson's picture. And they'll say, and he has sent a living prophet to lead and guide you today, just like he sent Moses and his name is Thomas S. Monson. And then usually it says in their discussions how to do this, it will say bear testimony. Sometimes it will say bear strong testimony. And what that, what that amounts to is something like, I want you to know that I know that Thomas S. Monson is a prophet of God. I bear this humble testimony to you. And so that is strong testimony of the truthfulness that there is a man on this earth, Thomas S. Monson, who is a prophet. And it sounds really good. And if you've never experienced it before and you don't know the Bible, you might even be convinced. I'm serious. I mean, it's serious business and they do it. Let me restructure the missionary discussion for you. I'm going to play a missionary and what he or she should say in this discussion. Does the Lord love us as much today as He did in days of yore, Mr. and Mrs. Investigator? Uh, Yeah, I guess He does, comes the reply. That's right. And you know what He did for us? He sent His Son. And His Son gave His life for us. And because of this, we can be reconciled directly to God here in this life and have communication with Him through His Holy Spirit. There is no need any longer for prophets In fact, let's read Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. It's really a simple scripture. Listen to this, Mr. Investigator. Listen. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he also made the worlds. It's very plain and straightforward, isn't it? Well, asked the investigator, are there other scriptural proofs that the office of prophet is done away with today, missionary McCraney? Why, yes, there are. Let me list a few for you, okay? Prophets are spoken of in the New Testament in this way. Jesus said in Matthew 11:13, "For all the prophets and the law was prophesied until John." Okay? For all the prophets, all of all the prophets all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Luke 11:50, Jesus says, That the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation. Okay? Luke recorded that Jesus taught that. At the beginning, at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Acts 3.24 says, Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Talking about the books in Acts. Acts 10.13 says, To him give all the prophets witness, That through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall have a remission of sins. As the prophets were before Jesus Christ, they pointed to Jesus Christ. They spoke of Jesus Christ. They revealed God's will until Jesus came. And when Jesus came, the job, the office was done. Over with. Remember, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son. Having sent his son, he then followed him up with the Holy Spirit when the son ascended. Who teaches us all things. What else do we need? Okay, says the investigator. Are there other passages in scripture that might help us understand that prophets aren't needed anymore? As a matter of fact, there are. There's a story told in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's told in each one of them. I'm going to read you Matthew's version, and it goes like this. It's, it's four short verses. Listen to this story, okay? There was a certain householder, Jesus said, which planted a vineyard And hedged it about and digged a winepress in it and built a tower and let it out to a husbandman, let it out to another person to take care of it and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to this husbandman who was taking care of the garden, that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandman took these servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto him likewise. This is a story Jesus tells about God sending prophets to the children of Israel. He sent uh, prophets to tell them about his son, sent prophets, and what did they do? They killed the prophets. And then here's the big part, verse 37. Jesus says, but last of all, last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, they'll reverence my son. And that we know that they killed him too. Again, the prophets served a purpose. They were persecuted and killed for it. But last of all, he sent his son. Wow, Missionary McCraney, the law and the prophets really were fulfilled in the life and death of Jesus. Is there anything else? Well, let me have you consider one more biblical story. You remember in the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus went up, with Peter, James, and John, Mark 9, 2 through 8. You should read it. I'm going to cover it. We begin at verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took Peter and James and John and led them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he, speaking of Jesus, was transfigured before them. Now, what does this mean? It means a visual manifestation of the total godhood and glory of Jesus Christ came out through his skin through his clothes, and revealed who he really was. It says in verse 3, "...and his clothing became shining exceedingly white as snow, so as no such fuller on earth could whiten them. Now you see on this mount the true nature of Jesus shine through. Was there anybody else up there besides Peter, James, and John to see Jesus' glory come through? Verse 4 says, "...and Elijah and Moses was seen by them, and they were talking with Jesus." Elijah and Moses come down to this Mount of Transfiguration. Now, of all the prophets and characters of the Old Testament, why was Moses and Elijah the ones who came and to witness this glory of Jesus? Why not Isaiah? Why not Samuel? Why not Ezekiel? Because they represented, respectively, the law and the prophets. Moses represented the law. He gave the law to the children of Israel. Elijah represented the prophets. Now why would Elijah represent the prophets? Why not someone else? Elijah was the prophet of prophets. He was the, had the most radical of radical ministries of all the prophets. Both Moses and Elijah both had deaths that were very unique in the Old Testament. One, they don't know where Moses really died and where his body was laid and theres there's conjecture that he did, took his body with him and Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, a cloud of glory, and he was never to be seen again. These two men, the law and the representing the law and the prophets, disappeared from this earth in a miraculous way. There is a reason for this. they were going to return with their bodies and be present with the Lord there on this Mount of Transfiguration. Now the Jewish targum, Their old writing connects the coming of Moses with the coming of the Messiah. And other Jewish traditions predict his appearance, the Messiah's appearance, with the coming of Elijah. They both appeared on this Mount of Transfiguration. And they spoke, according to Luke, to Jesus about his coming death. Now a cloud overshadowed them, which was a cloud of glory. This same cloud overshadowed Moses... The same cloud overshadowed Elijah when he took off into the heavens in this whirlwind and he was lost. This same cloud overshadowed Jesus when he took off at his ascension. The same cloud of glory was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And here's the important part, the most important part. Peter, James, and John They look around, they close their eyes, they fall asleep. We're not sure which they did, but they don't, they take their eyes off this. And when they look up, verse eight says, suddenly looking around, they did not see anyone anymore. No Moses, no Elijah, except Jesus alone with themselves. The law and the prophets was brought back and fulfilled. Jesus represented the old covenant and the new covenant, and he was the segue between. He links them together. The law and the prophets are done for. Can you see? Can you see the dastardly thing for a man from Joseph Smith to Brigham Young and onward for these men to say that they are prophets of God, likened unto God. They receive revelation for the whole earth when Hebrews clearly teaches that the law and the prophets are now fulfilled in the sun. And so do all these illustrations that come along with, uh, with what the Bible says about prophets. Finally, Paul warns us in Galatians. He says, be wary of things like this. They're gonna come along. And he says, though we or an angel from heaven preach, any other gospel. This is another gospel. We have a new covenant. This is a extra new covenant that they teach over there at at North Temple. It's a brand new, revised new covenant. It's not the new covenant that Jesus brought. And he says, beware if they bring it to you and they teach it to you, let them be accursed. And then he repeats himself and he says, as I've said before, so say now I again, if any man preach unto you another gospel, let him be accursed accursed. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. We prefer LDS callers. We prefer first-time callers, and we'd like you to turn your TV sets down when you come on the air or mute them or turn them off and uh, have a question or a comment so we can keep the calls moving forward. Let's go to Mary and Ogden on line one. Mary, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hi Sean how are you?
1: I'm doing well how are you?
4: Very good sermon.
1: Thank you. <laughs> Go ahead.
5: I'm a Messianic Jew and I have a statement to make to the LDS Church. Okay Mary. Uh, <clears throat> you constantly discriminate against me or and I can't figure out whether you're jealous or you just don't like me but God didn't make two Moses. There's only one. And I'm tired of you LDS people plagiarizing the Bible. Could you please stop? If you want to become Jewish, become Jewish. Don't try to copy us. Thank you.
1: All right, Mary. It's a great call. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. As the the operators answer the lines, I want to tell you about something. My friend Jim told me about a radio talk show host in Salt Lake City for KSL, LDS-owned. Does a Religion Today show, I guess his name is Martin Tanner. He is a no relation, I don't think, at least, uh, or at least not on the same playing field as Sandra Tanner, but... Uh He has said on his show that Mormonism is the only true church on the face of the earth, and he has made this public as recently as three weeks ago. So an LDS-owned radio station, this man named Martin Tanner on a show that is called Religion Today makes no hesitation of saying they are the only true church, which tacitly infers that if you don't belong to it, you are going to go to hell. Now, they say that we pick on them, and we have no right. They don't ever uh, mince water or mix water or cause problems, and they do with this guy. Now, I got an email from LDH who said, hey, I want you to invite Martin uh, Tanner onto the show so that you guys can debate this thing out. And I wrote him back, and I said, and I'm going to say the same thing to you so you understand. First and foremost, I am not an apologist. Our ministry is not to sit here and give the LDS equal time. I don't care that they have equal time. They own airwaves, they get their message out all they want. So I don't care that someone comes on and we can sit here and argue with each other. I just get mad and I want to physically fight them. So it's, it's not good. So I'm not here to, to battle that way. I'm here to give you the truth and let you take it and discover for yourselves if what I'm saying is right or not, okay? The second thing is is Martin Tanner is not an official representative of the church. If we get an official representative of the church, I'll put away my apologist stuff and I will go nose to nose with any official representative. I say it again, I invite you, Thomas S. Monson, any of the apostles, any of the Quorum of the Seventy, anybody who can come on here, a stake president, a bishop who can say that he represents the LDS church, any one of you come on here and sit with me and we'll go through all these reasons of how you're Christian and how you should be in the body of Christ, but how you're also the true church and everybody else is gonna go to, let's talk about all those things. But I'm not gonna take some, you local uh, talk show radio guy who happens to have some good uh, uh, lines to say and invite him on the show. All right, let's go to Stephen, Salt Lake City, first-time caller on line four. Stephen, you're on Heart of the Matter.
6: Hi, Sean. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Good.
6: Hey, this is my first time calling. I'm a, an ex-Mormon that uh, got saved when I was in the Navy in 1986. Wow. And so I just want to make a comment or a question I have for about uh, prophets and prophetess because coming out of the LDS church I always uh, used to ask um, why don't they have any female prophets because we see in the Old Testament in Exodus 15:20, that Miriam was called a prophetess Yeah. in Judges 4-4 uh, Deborah was called a prophetess and in uh, 2 Kings 22:14, 14 you had Huda called a prophetess so I was wondering why they never had a, a female prophet and also you see multiple prophets in the Old Testament at the same time, and you don't see uh, multiple prophets in the LDS church at the same time. So I don't see them, uh, uh, you know, lining up with the uh, biblical ways of prophecy in the Old Testament. Great comment. I'll here and let you comment. Okay,
1: thanks a lot, Stephen. All right,
6: thank you. Bye-bye. What
1: he said was, hey, the Old Testament, we have not only male prophets, but we have female prophetesses and they were fully recognized. And then we also had not just one, but we had many prophets wandering the earth at the same time, Jeremiah and Ezekiel were uh, compatriots. Am I right, Kevin, was Jeremiah and Ezekiel and others. Isaiah was a contemporary of others. So why do we have just this one man who gets elevated to this position? And these are very valid points. Uh, The reason that they don't have women as prophets, Uh, is because women couldn't even say prayers in the LDS church until 1976 in their sacrament meetings, let alone, I mean, well, I won't. won't. So uh, women haven't always had the most um, exalted place as far as uh, authority in the church. However, I think if you watch the, uh, the, if you go back and look in the archives of church conference, you can see that at one time, all it was was men in suits. And then they started, after the ERA movement, they started bringing in, not that they followed the ERA movement, but they want to be contemporary, they started bringing women in, and now they have a whole bunch of women in there, and they're speaking more authoritatively, and I have said this before on the show, I believe someday that the LDS Church is going to offer the women some sort of priesthood uh, uh, to the world, but that's just my personal opinion. Let's go to Rose in Portland, Oregon. Rose, you're on Heart of the Matter.
5: Yes, uh, hello, and I want to uh, thank you for your ministry. It is really uh, a blessing and educational. Um, I had a question, well, actually two. Okay. How do the Mormons explain? Uh, Revelations, um, Jesus is talking it's at the end in 22. Uh, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of this prophecy of this book, this is the word of God, the only, the only, the truth, the way, and the life. And also, how do they explain when, um, I'm trying to look for it, um, so I could um, word for word, where he, he talks about, woe to you who adds or takes away from this word.
1: Well, let, let me give you their response, Rose, and, and it's, uh, they actually get better ground in their apologetics on this than, than uh, Christians think. But one, the prophecy of the book in Revelation, the LDS know that, that Jesus was talking about Revelation, that singular book, and he wasn't speaking of uh, the entire Bible because we know that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John were written after Revelation was received. So they understand that, and they use that as a retort. I would never, um, I would never use that argument with an LDS because they're prepared to throw that one out. Additionally, a very similar thing is said in Deuteronomy about not to adding or taking away from the book. So if you use that argument, you would say everything from Deuteronomy forward should be excluded too. And so, uh, but I do, I agree with you as a Christian that it is speaking of the Bible as a whole, because I believe, even though many Christians don't, but I believe that the people who compiled the Bible put revelation last, and that this these words of Christ are last in our Bible because they do mean don't add or take away from the New and Old Covenant. But I think that is how they would argue it. Does that make sense? Yes, um, but
5: a Christian who believes the Word of God um, I know a lot of people will say, well, how can you believe it because a man wrote it? But like you said, the Lord, he used certain people like John and, and the apostles to do his work. And so believing in his word, that being the only book, not the Book of Mormon, not the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible written for them or any other book, the Bible, Yeah. The word of God. And I agree with now, you. How can a person not read it and, and read the words of Christ and not accept that there's no other way, especially when you get into John and First John and you, and you read his words and he says, I am the truth, the way, and the life. How can a person not read that and... And get it it's
1: simple a baby can get it but Rose you have to I mean I understand your point as a Christian I I I do understand what you're saying but you have to understand that the LDS many of them from infancy in the nursery and primary and young adults and, and and mutual and Sunday classes they've been inculcated with information that when they read the Word of God, when they read the Bible, they literally, they believe what they're reading. They believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But they believe He's the way, the truth, and the life because He paid for sin, and they can get forgiveness for their sin. But they add. The, The problem with Mormonism is not so much what the Bible says. It's the additions that they have added onto the cross that make it so difficult, you see. And so, when, when, they, they, when they read those things in the Bible, they do believe them, but they believe them within the context of how they have been taught. And so it's very difficult for them to break through those things after they have heard it and believed it their whole life. That That's why... It,
5: to, go ahead. It goes back to the question, how can you add? How can a man on this earth today add to it? And, that's,
1: and I'll let you close. I'll hang up. Okay, Rose. I'll, uh, thank no. you so much. And Rose brings up a great point. And this is, this is actually the greatest point considering when we talked about prophets tonight. What do you base your faith on? Do you base it on what Christians say is the manual? They say this is the manual. This is the book. I am going to go to my manual. If my pastor says this and I go to my manual and I read through and I search it out and I find, hmm, I don't agree with what he says ever. If this says something different, ever, this is the Christian manual. So obviously... Joseph had to say this is is inferior in order to get his book and his writings and things accepted. So he had to say this has problems, and he has that written right in the first book he wrote, the Book of Mormon. And so the Mormon church reads, and they say, oh, I don't know if that's translated correctly. What do the Mormon prophets say? And it turns right to men and their opinions and not to what the book says in the Greek and all what the scholars have said and all the ancient manuscripts and everything we have that supports this book. It has been attacked, and that's what they do. So then we have another situation. How do you know what man to believe? Joseph Smith came forward and said, I have these books. Well, then someone breaks off from Joseph Smith and says, this isn't right. We need to do this. And there are hundreds and hundreds of breakoff churches from the LDS church, from men who say, you need to listen to me, and a bunch of people who have followed them. Like Texas. Like the guy who went down there and he's got all, he had all the wives and he got arrested and thrown in jail. That guy. So many people followed him. Why? Because they believe, hey, sometimes men are inspired. They're prophets. We still have pro- He's a prophet, and they follow him. And they don't turn to the manual to find out if what he's saying is right. Darn. Let's go to Mike on line four. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter.
7: Hi, Sean. Sean, um, you might remember me. I'm from Boston. I talked to you about a year ago or so. But...
1: I remember your accent, Mike. <laughs> I remember that perfectly.
7: Listen, I got a couple of things I want to say. One is... You know, the key to the whole thing is, is if you do not believe the inerrancy of God's Word, then there's really no point in, in, in uh, trying to teach anybody, because if you don't believe that this is God's Word and God inspired every word that was spoken through this book, I mean, if you do believe it, all you have to do is go to the Scriptures, like in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, 14, verse 29, the Bible says, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. There are many prophets in the church of God. The Bible says we are all different members. The I can't say to the foot, I'm better than you. Or the foot can't say to the eye, I have no need for you. One's a prophet, one's a teacher, one's an evangelist. God gave different gifts to every man in the church. I love you. That
1: is excellent exhortation. And Be healed. Some,
7: and get scared he prophets. Plural prophets. There are many prophets in the church of God. Not one prophet that rules the church, but there are many prophets who operate in the gift of prophecy. And the Bible says each church has many of them, and they should speak two or three, and then let everybody judge what they say if it lines up with God's word.
1: Amen, Brother Mike. We're gonna move on. That is an excellent exhortation, and we have people just being slain in the spirit all over the place.
4: <laughs> yes, yeah, sure, you're right. Praise God. All right, Bye-bye. praise
1: the Lord. I love him. I just love his passion. Listen, you know what? Every single one of the, we use I don't use the C word, cults, but every single one of those groups, they always have men who have written a book. They always have men who have pre- presented this as scripture. Christianity says we have 66 books we have a bunch of different writers we take from all of their accounts, and somehow those guys who didn't know each other, who wrote under the Holy Spirit, that all connects in there. But every time you take one of these groups, you're going to get a man. You're going to get a William Taz Russell. You're going to get Mary Baker Eddy. You're going to get Joseph Smith. You're going to get all of them, and, hang up blind, and, uh, and you have a, uh, a problem. So that's why we trust this, because it's many more witnesses and what do people do? They attack the word. We have shows on the word. We'll have another one. Okay, we're gonna hurry up. We are going to Aaron and Orem. He is a first-time caller and he's LDS. Aaron, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hey, Sean. Um, I was just uh, calling to let you know that I've been a frequent watcher, and it seems like most of the time, most like the active members that I call get really upset and like try to argue. Yeah. I just I just wanted to let you know that. I'm kind of a frequent watcher, and you have been strengthening my testimony as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. And on, on this topic tonight about prophets... Yeah. You know, explain
1: um, how, though, Aaron. Explain how tonight's topic on prophets strengthened your testimony in an LDS prophet.
4: All I know is, I, you know, I'm not really good at arguing, but all I know is that I feel really peaceful when I listen to Thomas S. Monson and all of the Twelve Apostles.
1: So it's, a, it's a feeling is what you're saying. The feeling you get when you listen to them makes you believe that they're a prophet. I'm not arguing with you. I'm just asking for clarification.
4: Well, yeah, that's exactly right. Okay,
1: so let me ask you something. What do you do with people who feel the same peace when they hear Takahashi speak in the imperialist nation of Japan? The Muslims hear their Ayman speak and they feel the same. All these people here—they're different men—and when they hear them speak, they feel—they feel these feelings. Warren Jeffs' followers feel he was a prophet. Doesn't that concern you that you're feeling? You're putting your eternal life on feelings.
4: Um, Actually, no, it doesn't. I'm really—I feel really peaceful, and I've, you know, watched shows like you. And again, I say I'm a frequent watcher, so you know, I'm not trying to.
1: Right. It's okay.
4: So I'm not upset at you, I'm not trying to argue, but I just, I know that, uh, I know what I hear from Thomas S. Monson is true. Okay, but
1: but again, Aaron, I'm not arguing, because I like you and I appreciate that you're being kind. Tell me, how, why are your feelings more important than someone else's feelings?
4: Oh, they're not. I'm just, I'm just trying to, I'm just, I've been wanting to call in for quite some time, and I just want to be, you know, kind of a voice for other people like me who are maybe a little bit too timid to call in.
1: But Aaron, just try to help me. You say they're not more valid, but your feelings are going to lead you, according to your beliefs, to following the prophet and to exaltation, where someone who has feelings toward a cult leader in Waco, Texas, their feelings are going to lead them into difficulty, at least a lower kingdom in your esteem. So your feelings are more important than their feelings. How do you differentiate between the two?
4: I really don't know a lot about, like, the Asian country you are talking about or, or what Warren Jeff teaches. Okay. I know, all I know is that I feel at peace and I feel most calm and best, you know, when I'm in church and when I listen to the words of the prophet.
1: I want you to know something, Aaron, or uh, Aaron, I want you to know that I do this show because I love people like you and I know that you feel this and you believe it, but belief and feelings have never, ever been part of the biblical uh, presentation for truth. You have to to look and see the facts, my brother. And you need to read your word and you need to hear it preached because this is the manual. I could probably persuade you to believe if I was an active LDS member that I have received revelations too. And I could probably get you to feel it persuasive men are i mean hitler moved in Do you know what hitler's leader said they said hitler moved. i mean hitler said well, i don't get people to think i get them to feel that is how we can manipulate people is by getting them to feel do you realize those lulling tones that you hear when the prophets speak those mesmerize you and they, you have to what does the word say aaron not what you feel
4: Okay. Well, again, see, I'm not very good at arguing. Like, I don't know what Hitler said or did. Right. I'm not big in, into like history, but again, all I know is that I feel at peace, and my 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 soul feels welcomed when I go to church and okay. when I go to the conference center to listen to the words of the prophet.
1: Okay. Now, I, I'm glad you called. I wanted to say. I'm glad you called, Aaron. I really
4: appreciate it, man. Well, I I and again, I'm I'm. Still gonna watch your show, and I appreciate all you do. But
1: praise God, we'll talk again. All right. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. All right. We are going to Jason, first-time caller from South Carolina. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter.
0: Hey, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh man, I'm doing great. I'm glad I got through. Hey man, I've been a big fan of the show for a long time, and I just wanted to call you and thank you for your ministry.
1: Oh, well, thank you.
0: I think it's a wonderful. Uh, thing that you're doing there, and in the uh, uh, what do you call it, the Mecca of Mormonism? <laughs> I was actually uh, raised LDS and uh, all my life, and uh, after joining the military, I kind of went outside the church and uh, married, you know, so to speak. And uh, but I, I really started sitting there and listening to the things they were saying, and, and I kind of thought, you know, something's not quite right here. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so, and I used to get very angry whenever uh, folks would say, you know, things against the Mormon Church, and I said, well, we're Christian too, you know. Yeah. Then I met then I met the real Jesus and uh and you know, uh it didn't hap- it happened one night, knelt down by my bed and uh you know, and I, I just realized I was a sinner and where I was going and I just asked the Lord to save me and man he came and uh, just wonderful, wonderful experience that uh I can't I can't really describe and you know, I just think that's the most uh, amazing thing even now is how he, you know, loved me enough to do what he did for me and I, I really feel for the LDS people, and I'm really hoping and praying my family will follow suit and uh, and and just make that big step, you know towards the truth. And I just pray for all those out there. and uh, mm-hmm. just keep up the good work, man.
1: Really appreciate your call. Thanks so much for that testimony. and uh, your family will come through as you love them as the Lord would love them. God bless you, Jason.
0: Hey, one one more thing, Sean. Yeah. Uh, the uh, I like that I I do like that accent. Our friend John uh, O'Fallon? Yeah. Definitely. I'm pretty sure he's he's LDS. (laughs) I would agree with you. (laughs) Okay.
1: God bless you. All right. God bless you. Bye-bye. Just to let you know, he's referring to a caller who called on a number of occasions. He's from O'Fallon, Illinois, we think, and uh, we had a number of very good dialogues. You can watch any of the shows at www.bornagainmormon.com, and you go back to the archives, and you can watch John and I have these discussions. And uh, where he was saying, I'm going to burn in purgatory, and I'm going to look up at Joseph Smith's shining face, and he forbids his wife to watch the show, on and on and on. And, and I really believe he said, he wrote me an email and said he was going to take up my challenge and search for truth, and we haven't heard from him since. So uh, I, I hope, John, if you're watching, uh, that we can have a dialogue and you can call. Go to a payphone if you're being observed by somebody and, and just secretly get a call into us because we'd love to hear from you again. All right, let's go to Adam in Salt Lake City. Adam, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hey Sean it's Adam. how you doing man?
1: doing well how are you?
3: Good. Hey, just got one question, it's a personal experience pretty simple and quick. All right. I'm sitting at a fair for my mom manning a booth in Eagle Mountain. I see the missionaries coming down the row and they get to me and I've, I have some knowledge so I'm just trying to ask them questions and see what they say to what I think I know. And one of their one of their proofs for Mormonism, is going to be up the apostasy that all churches are broken down to different sects and that's the proof that Mormonism is, you know, legit. But then you see that in the news, all the FLDS stuff and the different parts of the Mormonism breaking down. How, how does that still make them not part of that apostasy?
1: Well, they claim that yes, those, those churches and those sects have apostatized from the truth. They, uh, but they believe that the the root is still remains, and uh, it's the LDS Church here on North Temple, and so, so
3: their, their breakdown, and you know how I mean I I think all men's religions will break down eventually because it's from men, yeah, and if that's part of their proof and that their religion is breaking down, I mean how does that make them more special or a chosen religion?
1: Uh, no idea. They say their religion is not breaking down. They say they're growing and that it's just these apostate groups. You can tell they're apostate because they've branched off and they've become nothing. They view their power, their growth, their size, their money, their wealth. They view all that as signs that they are the truth.
3: And, uh, it's, last one. Last one. Yeah. Did Joseph Smith say if you do not practice polygamy, you cannot go to heaven?
1: Plural marriage.
3: So it's it's done right there. If you just want a fact, right? I mean, yeah.
1: And I, Brigham reinforced that ad nauseum.
3: So how can you believe in the guy, like you know, as the founder, but yet he condemns you because you're not doing? It just it's, it's all do good for me. Sean, I'll see you next Sunday. All right, Adam,
1: thanks. Amen. God bless. Bye bye. We're going to Nini and Ogden, first time caller. Nini, you're on Heart of the matter.
8: Hi. Hi. Um, I'm I'm just gonna get right to the point. I was okay. wondering. Uh, You have to be kind, like, called a member of a specific church. Like, I know that several people are really proud to be called Christians, and then there's the people who are proud to be Mormons, and I used to be Mormon, but um, my mom was excommunicated, and then she rejoined the church, and um, for several years, it was like religious wasn't even in my life, and then all of a sudden it was. And when we left the church a few years ago, she went from being a big, like, um, Book of Mormon basher to a Bible thumper, so to say. And it's like, well, do you have to be part of a specific church?
1: Nene, let me give you the biblical answer for that. The church is made up of people who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who have been born again have a new spirit to operate by, and walk by faith. They are found in all types of religions. They're found in Baptist, Pentecostal. uh, They're found in Catholics. They're found in all those different Christian religions. They may even be found, surprisingly, in Islam and even some uh, Eastern religions. They believe in Jesus. They trust Him. They have faith in Him. They've been converted. But in their country, they know of no other way. We don't know. But the church is made up of people who believe in him, have been born again and walk by faith in him. It is not the name of a denomination. So uh, you don't have to you don't have to call yourself by any religion, you don't have to belong or have a membership in any church to be a true blue Christian. maybe even some of the best have never affiliated with certain churches. I don't know. but it's that liberal and that open to people who believe. Does that help?
8: Um. Kinda. Of, what about religion? Like saying that you're a Christian, or saying that you're Mormon, or saying that you're Catholic or
1: Jew. Well, the important thing about Christian, and it is a uh, a term that is used in the Bible, and it was applied at Antioch. But the important thing about that is it has Jesus' name in there, and it is not essential because uh, it's your it's your faith and it's your conversion to Jesus. So uh, some people say they are followers of Christ instead of saying Christian. And they prefer that because of sometimes what Christianity means today in our world. When you turn on the TV and see some things that Christianity does, some people don't want to have that association. Now, I don't mind. I love being called a Christian. I love it. But uh, some people, they're a little bit different. If you're a follower of Jesus, born again by faith, you walk with him, uh, you're a Christian by because we have a lack of a better word for it. All right, I'm going to go to another call. Thank you so much, Nini. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Hey. This is a call that uh, I love getting, and it is from my daughter, Cassidy McCraney.
8: Hi, Daddy.
1: Hello, Cassidy. How you doing?
8: Good. Good show tonight.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you I, for calling.
8: I have a question. Yes. Actually, I want you to explain um, the mustard seed.
1: Oh, the mustard seed?
8: Yeah. I, unless you had it, I don't know if you had it planned for another show, but I just really like that.
1: All right. Do you want to wait on the line or watch it on the internet?
8: I'll watch it. I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye-bye.
1: Jesus told the apostles uh, when they couldn't, or the disciples, when they couldn't cast out a demon, uh, he said, you faithless generation, and, and and they said, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And he said, well, uh, you couldn't do it because you lacked faith. And he said, if you had the faith of a mustard seed, you could move mountains. And what Cassidy wants me to tell you is my interpretation of that is obtaining The amount of faith of a mustard seed is very difficult. It's a lot. It's not a little bit of faith. A mustard seed of faith is a lot of faith. And if you had that amount, you would be able to do these miraculous things. So a lot of people say the mustard seed represents, if I just had a little faith, I could do these things. I think Jesus was saying it takes a lot and that we need to turn to him, seek for faith, ask for faith, trust in Him, not in a man, not in a church, not in a religion, but in God Himself by the name of Jesus Christ. See you next week here on Heart of the Matter.
7: Break my